passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello and welcome to Rewind a Raw, the final Rewind a Raw of July. I am John Pollock along with Wei Ting, who had no idea where I was going there. But yes, we're not calling it uh we're not calling it quits. We're gonna go at least another another month or two, I think, will we'll last doing these three hour raws. How are you, Wei? I'm doing all right. Yeah, not so bad. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've got that uh second wind. At this hour, I'm ready to go. It's good. It's, it's been great. a very, very busy day. How was your weekend? Uh, it was not. Yeah, it was nice. You know, I spent um sat- Sunday and um the first half of Monday at a at an in laws cottage actually. So had a nice time. Um, traffic is awful as always, especially at unrush during rush hour on a Monday. But uh, I'm here. I'm ready to talk about raw. How about you? How was your weekend? I had a pretty good weekend. I went to a Blue Jays game over the weekend and my big my big movie going experience. I, I found time on Saturday. I'm like, I'm going to go see Oppenheimer. And I went out and it's like on a million screens. I get there sold out. Like, are you kidding me? This movie is sold out. It's the second weekend. And I became a statistic because with it sold out, I'm like, I'm already here. Let's go Barbie. And that is what I went to watch on my own. I watched Barbie. And uh, dude, this theater was packed, Mm. just packed. Um, I had a great time watching it. I was like, I can't remember like laughing out loud at a movie, especially on my own. I think I really um, 
I, I broke down some, some walls in my life by being able to go to a movie and just be uh, laughing uh, during this movie. I, I thought it was like really entertaining. It was, um, you can certainly get uh, like, there, there was a message uh, in there. And I thought it was like a really like fun, smart movie on the take of, of Barbie that, I mean, it's no surprise that it's as popular as it is. So I, I had fun going to see it. I, I won't lie. The idea of three hours for Oppenheimer was a bit daunting for me. Mm-hmm. So when I, th- this backup plan was not so bad. No, it sounds like you had a great time. And I believe both movies are doing incre- incredibly well in its second week, probably for some of those reasons. Maybe some people choosing to one, watch one movie decided to watch the other one the other week. Yeah, I would still like to see Oppenheimer. That's the one I really want to see. So I mm-hmm. don't know. I will uh, plan to go and Hopefully it won't be sold out next time. But anyway, well, why aren't you buying your tickets beforehand? On, on okay, okay. Yeah. This is uh, this is the same thing my wife was like giving me grief over, and I was just I I don't like twenty twenty. It's twenty twenty three. You get the. I know, I know, I know. I should. You know? I should have. I should have done it in advance. I understand that, but I did not, and I just figured, you know what? It's it, this thing was in multiple screens. There's shows like every like hour. I just figured, like, there's no way it's going to be sold out. I, I can't, re- I cannot, cannot recall going to a movie that was sold out. So, I mean, the recession is uh, greatly overplayed. Pandemic's over. Life is just, according to Oppenheimer, it's it's grand. We're we're in for a, a gigantic. The movie theater industry is saved. I think cable subscribers are going to start to rebound. I think we're going to go back to you know hundred plus million homes for for cable. I think all of this has just been a down decade or so we're gonna spin back that's hmm. what my movie experience interesting like. predictions mm-hmm. hmm. uh anything else this weekend you want to chat about hey what was uh was this your first trip with oscar like a like a lengthy we, trip we've done an overnight in in hamilton um so okay. this was actually kind of easier because we had um our um, grandparents there that were able to to watch uh, him as well, but it's it. I mean, it, it's always a bit of a hassle, you know, trying to pack enough for um, a, an eleven month old to sleep overnight. And we had to be super quiet, of course, like because he was sharing a room with us. So, you know, we we my 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 wife and I had to like be ninjas if we had to use the bathroom and everything. So, um, but all in all, like he got a good eight hours of sleep. So, success, I would say. No, oh, that's that's great news. We have uh, mm-hmm. we have started on Home Alone Lego. Oh wow! Amazing. Did this manual? Yep, it's five hundred pages. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of steps. It's crazy. It's mm-hmm. just crazy. This is a. It's going to be a long one. Oh, a you chip away at it just a little bit every night. Put the movie on in the background as Max is watching Home Alone. He watches this movie. Nightly. He watches one or two of Home Alone. He's been doing this pretty much since Christmas. He just watches one or the other. He maybe will get tired of this movie. Maybe you'll dig into three and four and five. Eventually. He refuses. He's like, no, Kevin isn't in them. Mm. Like, okay, I can't, I can't sell you on these. Uh, he is definitely not in them. And you are with the majority that are not going to add these, these additional ones to the original two. <laughs> Last thing on the movie front, I promise we will get into wrestling. So Sunday night, I go to sit down to watch the great American bash. And I was about to bash my head into the wall, trying to get this thing to work because WWE network in Canada is just a mess to try and get. Have you, Oh, you, you have your, your ways and means, which you're going to have to help me with because I actually don't use a VPN for WWE network. No, I, I I use it on Sportsnet. Okay. Well, you Rogers, I should say not Sportsnet. Okay. Well, 
Next time there is a live stream, you have to. So I tried using it today to to try to catch up on Great American Bash, and it's I, not so much going back; it's the live stream that seems to be the issue. I can get right. older stuff to watch. That's not the issue because I couldn't even do that. Like I my really? my feed started and it would just like cr- like stop in the middle of the video, and I don't know if that's just sort of like personal. Okay, to me. I've started to play it and I didn't watch it at any length, so I can't say that I'm problem free either. But I am predicting this will be a disaster on. Saturday for SummerSlam when way more people are going to be trying this. And it seems to be um, uh, Canadians are just hit with this, this awful uh, shift over. So I, I cannot exactly peg what exactly I'm paying for when I cannot access these uh, pay-per-views live. So anyway, I will uh, might have to make a good uh, call to Rogers. Maybe I'll, t- maybe I'll record it and we'll, uh, we'll see what they have to say. Uh, please do it on our behalf. Sure. Anyway, the point being, couldn't watch Great American Bash live, so I'm in the midst of the Bear season two. Mm-hmm. Watch the Christmas episode. Oh God! Oh, it'll make you never want to celebrate Christmas with your <laughs> no, again. definitely not. But it sh- certainly makes me want to celebrate Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> she was amazing was in great. this. This was uh, pretty much a movie uh, of the. It was like a hour plus episode of the Bear, mm-hmm. and what an incredible episode it's it's my favorite episode of the bear so far it beats the uh the, the stabbing from season one which was my yeah. previous favorite episode um i hate that episode it's why I hate because it. it's so stressful it may, exactly yeah, yeah it was that's why dude, uncomfortable it. to be so um yes like you well, felt purposely like you were in this cl- kitchen and felt as though you were uh walking in on something you shouldn't be overhearing yeah, I mean it, it's exactly the intended effect. It's it's exactly as claustrophobic and stressful. And I mean, for people who maybe have grown up in similar, you know, problematic fi- like households, um, totally like tough to watch in, in many parts. Um, but it, it's exactly the intent of of the um piece. So, uh, it's highly recommended. But I completely hate it. But I do recommend it. Okay. Well, don't throw a fork at me. I just wanted to give you my thoughts on. Okay. <laughs> on the the episode okay we're moving on it is another insane week here at post wrestling the post wrestling cafe will be stocked throughout the entire week and the cafe is going on the road this week way and i are taking off uh wait what time are we are we hitting the road oh god i don't know man like this is going to be awful Um, why didn't we we didn't plan this out accordingly, did we? No, we really didn't. We really should have gone in uh, on Thursday because we're supposed to be there at 9 a.m. to do some interviews uh, for the press junket for SummerSlam. And um, I don't think we're even able to, like, because we have to do the G1 review, don't we? No. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Thursday. We don't have one this Thursday. Thursday. Okay, so that's good. So you, maybe we can drive in. Well, where are we going to sleep, though? That's the problem. We'll talk about this off air. We are. Yeah. That's going to be a long day. I think it might be a 2 a.m. drive or a 3 a.m. drive. Okay. So anyway, we are off to Detroit this week. But um, so let's go in order here. We are going to have no less than three G1 shows this week. On Tuesday, Wayne and I will be back chatting about uh, Tuesday's card. Then on Wednesday, it is the Blind Eliminator series continuing (laughs) as... I've got the old host here. So it is Eric Marcotte and Lowdown Davey P 
yeah. joining together. Uh, I know it says WH there, but uh, we, we need to update the site. But nonetheless, Davey P is uh, filling in for WH Park, and they will be uh, coming together. Dude, Eric Marcotte, is he... He is the true, I would say, um, the, the young lion that has stepped up uh, this more more so than Narita or Umino. Uh, he is the Kaito Kiyomiya, maybe, of this year's G1. I've been very impressed hmm. with uh, with Eric. He's, he's having under, his own. He's been underutilized on the MMA side. We, we, we got tapped into this guy on the uh, pro wrestling front. He's fantastic. And he's been having his own round robin with uh, Post Wrestling's co-host here, doing a show with pretty much every everyone except maybe you and I. Well, that's true. I mean, you and I are very territorial. Um, then we will have another G1 show coming up on Sunday night with WH Park and Karen Peterson. They'll be going through both cards from Osaka, which are four ter- four match shows on Saturday and Sunday in terms of round robin shows. So a bit of a, a breather on the G1 front. And then uh, also this week, rewind away just because we are going to be going back to 2004. Vince McMahon on TSN's Off the Record, a two-parter. So this is a, a nice 45 minutes of Michael Landsberg going one-on-one with Vince McMahon. This was chosen by uh, Neil Flanagan, one of our Espresso Executive Producers. Look forward to meeting him on uh, Thursday. He will be joining us on the show. And then throughout the weekend, we are not going to have the traditional Rewind to SmackDown because we will be in Detroit. We're going to be going through the Game Changer card on Friday night. We will have a show in its place uh, documenting our travels, our um, insane wake-up call media day and the gcw show so look for that sometime late friday early saturday on the cafe and then of course we have our SummerSlam review on saturday night late into the evening post SummerSlam, post press conference can't say i was too disappointed that some of the matches look to be uh, a lesser match uh order than previously thought for SummerSlam. we have eight matches for SummerSlam night mm-hmm well, Friday's still to come, so maybe they might add a, add a match. You, you you never know, but um, probably not at this point. Eight is a good number. Um, yeah. Yes. And then, of course, eight, we've got Nate and Kate plus eight on Sunday with Collision Course, as they will be chatting uh, this weekend's Collision. So uh, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, uh, hosts jumping different shows, but we are going to have everything covered. Postwrestlingcafe.com is where you want to be. Video postwrestling.com jump on board you will be covered throughout the g1 which runs for another two weeks and all shows covered on the post wrestling cafe in addition to the double shot in addition to the collision course every week rewind to smackdown the greatest value in the world um sure the entire world it's very yeah Okay, I'm I'm out of uh, promotional juice at this moment. So we are going to move on to the news. And we start off with the passing of exotic Adrian Street, a really famous figure in professional wrestling, uh, a native of Wales, and maybe the most popular wrestler to come out of Wales and was somebody that, you know, he had uh, a character that was emulated greatly throughout the years to uh, mixed success. But, you know, he, to many people, he was not the first to kind of do the... Um, like the feminine stereotype, this very much diving into glam rock at, at a time when it was, you know, very, uh, very taboo in professional wrestling, very taboo in society. And this is uh, what you're looking at right now on the screen is a very, very famous photo uh, that was taken around 1973 when Adrian Street returned home. And this is when he's become a star through joint promotions. And he is here alongside his father, who 
questioned him going into professional wrestling. And this, this was him coming back as like the big star that had made it. But this photo sort of took on a life of its own with kind of the, uh, the, this. sorry, I, I just want to ask, um, did Zoolander take inspiration from this? Um, you could ask Ben Stiller. He might have. Because Ben Stiller's dad is was a coal miner, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Zoolander's dad, I should say. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like Jerry Stiller was a coal no, miner. No, no, I'm no, like, no. I was not aware of that uh, that other career of his. Um, it could have been. I haven't watched Zoolander since uh, 2001, but uh, maybe it was borrowed. I mean, this was a very famous photo uh, in the in the early 70s. So, um, and and a, and a great shot here. I mean, this was used far beyond just like uh, wrestling circles and such. Like this was a uh, something that was uh, utilized on, you know, many, many just different, like just social commentaries uh, of the time as well. But, you know, uh, Adrian Street, he grew up, his father, by the way, was uh, during the war, he was actually a prisoner of war. Um, uh, the Japanese military had like uh, taken him and then he he survived that, came back and, you know, Adrian Street grew up, he got into bodybuilding very young, dropped out of school uh, in his mid-teens and set out, like his dream was to become a professional wrestler. And, he was a big fan of, of George Kidd, who is a, an immensely popular uh, Scottish wrestler and was also very much influenced by the nature boy, Buddy Rogers. And, you know, he tried to break in and it was very difficult in his era to break into wrestling and finally debuts in 1957, went by the name of a Kid Tarzan Jonathan, which was a playoff of Don Leo Jonathan, which there's a. Uh, a very interesting tie-in later in his life regarding Don Leo Jonathan, and then goes to Joint Promotions, which was you know, the the promoter of record in uh, in the UK in 1961. And this is where he starts being billed as his real name, Adrian Street, which was his legit name, and makes his TV debut several years later. And this is where he hits um, you know his, his greatest fame or his fame that would. Uh, lived throughout the rest of his career that was made on and it was around 1969 that he met his eventual wife although that is decades down the road but more famously his valet miss linda and this was part of the act was that he played this sort of um this character that would never while he he portrayed like the you know did like the the effeminate gimmick but would never never came out and stated, you know, his sexuality, like that was left as the kind of the heat for the, the time period. And, you know, unlike Adrian Adonis, who we just reviewed, I mean, that was a character that literally went on WWF television announcing he was gay. And obviously very much in the the style of Adrian street was Adrian Adonis for many reasons. Um, he did this, this match in 1971 against this, uh, he was a very well-known presenter, Jimmy Seville. And this man is, if you go and look this up, this is among the biggest monsters that has ever occupied the planet. This man, um, you know, there there was tons of stuff about him, uh, rumors that went around, but it was really after his death that people started to investigate. And he ended up being linked to sexual abuse of so many children. Like this is in the hundreds. It is a just a horrible, horrible human being. And they had a match in 1971 and Adrian street, like kind of roughed them up. And, you know, in years later, when all of these allegations came to light, um, 
you know, I just saw a lot of people today. It was like they were celebrating Adrian Street kind of taking liberties with this guy back in 1971 uh, in, in this match uh, that he was linked to. But I mean, he was a very, very famous presenter in England. Uh, from there, Adrian Street, he continued in England. He eventually leaves joint promotions because at that point he had sort of reached the ceiling of what he could make. And it was more profitable for him to just go independent. He had had the the wide television exposure. He had the character down and he could just go to you know different companies, wrestle around on his own schedule. And then finally goes overseas. He had gotten into promoting as well uh, in the UK with uh, Org Williams. And then he makes his way overseas, first to Canada with Stampede Wrestling. And he just kind of hits all the major territories. He goes to Mexico for a tour. He went to Los Angeles, uh, spent a lot of time in Memphis, had a run in uh, Mid-South when Bill Dundee was uh, booking the territory and feuded with him. Uh, was involved with Jim Cornette in Mid-South as well. Goes to Florida. Spent a lot of time in Continental, Mid-Atlantic as well. Just kind of hitting a lot of the key territories. Interestingly enough, despite like the character and such, like never did work for Vince McMahon, senior or junior in the WWF. Although in John Lister's book, he interviewed Adrian Street. And later in his career, he was offered a spot in the WWF. Vince McMahon offered him a role to come in as a manager where he would be a skinhead and they would be, he would be managing a team uh, that would have like a white supremacist uh, vibe to it. So he turned that down. He said, no, I'm, I'm not crazy about that idea. So can't, can't fault the man for his moral compass. And so continued to wrestle his, his career really does wind down towards the late eighties and early nineties, but would still do matches all the way up until 2010 was when he had his last match. Uh, he finally married Miss Linda in 2005. That was at the Cauliflower Alley Club. And he was there. And it was sort of just this spontaneous um, wedding that they had at the Cauliflower Alley Club. And Don Leo Jonathan was there. So the guy who he was named after when he first broke into the business ends up being his best man at his wedding. And I remember being at the Cauliflower Alley Club the next year and uh, getting to meet the the two of them as well. They were back there and people were still talking about their their impromptu wedding from the year prior. And then just some other notes on him. I mean, this was a guy that wrote seven biographies on his life, which is um, that tops McFoley, that tops Chris Jericho for the most uh, autobiographies um, that someone wrote on himself. I've not read any of them, but the first one is My Pink Gas Mask, which I have to wonder was a John Moxley, or maybe... Maybe it was Vince McMahon looking for inspiration for a heel, and he came across my pink gas mask on Amazon and thought, you know what? This is a great heel gimmick when John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, comes to Los Angeles. We're going to put a gas mask on him because Adrian Street wore a gas mask. Possibly. Could have been the influence. It could have been. And uh, then j- just some other things. I mean, he overcame throat cancer about 20 years ago or so. Um, there was a big biopic on his uh, career, both um, – an independent documentary on him, plus a WWE network uh, piece on him. He, he was shown in the crowd last September at the clash at the castle show with miss Linda. He attended that and unfortunately went through um, just a terrible um, series of health problems. Recently, he had a heart issue and then suffered a stroke last month or actually earlier this month in July uh, that resulted in a, a brain bleed. 
And from that, he he had an operation on his brain and then developed colitis, which ended up turning into sepsis. And um, his wife stated that was what uh, killed him. And he died actually last Monday. And the news was just uh, put out today. So he was 82 years of age, very influential figure. You can see from just various generations of wrestlers that, um, you know, he was someone that was very well respected in terms of not just this great character, but also like a legitimate shooter as well. Like sometimes it was very hard to get um, a great match out of him because of he was like a difficult style to work with for some. Um, but for others, it was like he really did understand the character and you could see many people try to emulate it. We mentioned Adrian Adonis, uh, Rico, Rico Constantino. I mean, he was verbatim. Um, taking from Adrian Street right down to Jackie Gata being uh, promoted as Miss Jackie in WWE uh, on top of it. But there were plenty of others that you were going for that dynamic. It would probably have a a different reception today. But this was also like a, a fairly progressive thinker when you when you heard him in interviews and was certainly not doing things for cheap heat and i think he understood that that aspect as well so we have a story up on the site and they did acknowledge his passing at the beginning of raw tonight uh, with a graphic thank you for that john so that is uh the adrian street portion great american bash went down on sunday night we won't spend too much time on that because uh brayden davy have a great review uh going through that show but I would say the the highlight of the show was Carmelo Hayes and Ilya Dragunov that went uh, about 20 minutes or so. And really, this was this was a great kind of storytelling match where Carmelo Hayes retained the title. But it does seem like they are very much hinting towards Trick Williams. Uh, The key spot was at the end where Trick Williams is holding the title and getting into Carmelo's face and telling him this is what you're fighting for. And you're waiting for Trick Williams to do something with the belt. But the spot is Carmelo on the floor and Ilya comes off the steps with the Moscow torpedo and Hayes like dives for cover. So Trick takes the brunt of it and then is able to retain the title. But it's Trick kind of taking the bullet and Hayes just not only does he avoid the Moscow, the torpedo Moscow, but then doesn't even check on Trick Williams either. So I think like you are giving sort of the the reason for Trick Williams as well that he's uh, not appreciated, and I think that that is that seems to be a long term story. They were not just doing the quick turn out of nowhere on this show, but if you watch the TV in the lead up to this, the way Apollo Cruz left and giving this pep talk to Trick Williams that he should be his own man, it seems like this has been. I think a long-term story they're looking at uh, pulling the trigger on. Um, rest of the show, I thought was, it, it was a good show. I think they have definitely had better specials. I would say the low point, though, was Gable Steveson and Baron Corbin, which had a lot of things going for it. Number one is that, first of all, Gable Stevenson obviously is going to be very green. But, man, this crowd, they were... They were against Gable Stevenson from the get-go. Like they were already cheering for Baron Corbin at, immediately. It was as though they weren't even going to give Stevenson a chance. And I can't say that the company really gave him much of a chance because they gave them this awful finish with a double countout after six minutes. And I think this match was pretty much destined to fail based on uh, the booking. The audience was just not into Stevenson, who. I mean, this was like his first legitimate match, and I can't say he was awful, but the reception was awful, and it does make you wonder, like, this guy that it just feels as though this is, this debut has been, it's come out of nowhere, it doesn't feel as though it's got this big 
this big momentum behind it and is this guy's heart real really into it when he's staring at the possibility of winning another gold medal or continuing his amateur career and i just watched this on sunday and it just feels like is is this guy at the place he wants to be right now and it's going to be a it's going to be a test to see if this was just an anomaly this crowd and if the performance center is it's typically a much more receptive audience but at least going on the road here was an it was very interesting to hear a crowd that all got behind Baron Corbin of all people um, mm-hmm. as the cool heel. Yeah. I wonder if it's a reception that they expected or should have expected just maybe given um, I think how the audience might perceive Gable Steveson as a guy who only maybe has like half a foot in the door when there are so many people who would love to have this spot. And especially at a time when I think the standard for quote unquote celebrities entering Pro, pro wrestling when it's as high as you know what logan paul and bad bunny have achieved this was not good enough it was you know felt like the first match of somebody um who by all accounts should have should be exceeding all expectations of what a first match should be um he's been given every opportunity to train with the best has been given the you know incredible attention and a lot of time at this point it's been what a year and a half since you know the guy was announced as you know being a part of this deal when was it that he was drafted it was like a year ago that he was actually 2021 draft yeah two years ago that he was actually drafted. So, I mean, in that time, I don't know how much progress we've actually really seen if the results on Saturday were Sunday were any indication. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible amount of pressure in your first match. And this was one where it just like, listen, I, he he doesn't feel like he is at, at the level where he's going to excel, but this was also a crowd that was really not giving him much opportunity either and i just and it was booked terribly like i just at the end of this i was like what purpose did this match serve it didn't get anyone over it just to me took any air out of the sails of gable steveson like this is your your introduction on television of gable steveson in his first match that we're going to reflect on years later i think it got i think it got baron corbin over you know, to agree that maybe we haven't seen before with the uh, let's go Corbin chant. I think, you know, absolutely. I would I would consider this a fumble for a, a wrestler's debut. But um, maybe there's a silver lining here in that, you know, now how to present a Gable Stevenson to an audience. You should be pushing him as a heel. Just the same way you had, Kurt, you know, been pushing Kurt Angle, um, debuting him as a, as a heel, basically people i guess aren't necessarily attracted to you know an olympic wrestler's credentials especially maybe there's a part of you know gable steveson sort of like um the the controversy that's attached to his name that that might be following him you know into uh, uh the reaction that you saw on sunday as well but you know i'm sure they are retooling and maybe this is a chance to push him as a in a different direction if that's the case he does need a mouthpiece and whether that's his brother or somebody else like he does need a mouthpiece because I don't think he can handle promos uh, solo mm-hmm. babyface or heel for this for this juncture. OK, let's uh, continue on. Quick story here uh, from uh, Dave Meltzer and Brandon Thurston reporting that uh, it looks like uh, Comcast is going to be carrying all in as well as in demand and direct TV. So the price tag uh, that they're reporting forty nine ninety five, and this would essentially state that at least on traditional pay-per-view carriers and on satellite that that is where uh, all in will be airing. We will see if there are additional measures. Uh, Andrew Zarian had previously reported Bleacher Report. So this sounds like this is going to be the regular distribution method for a AEW pay-per-view. And it would seem as though you, if 
this is all getting reported. Like you would hope that AEW has some all in announcements this Wednesday. Like the time is is now to get your your key stuff out there. I would say the broadcast information probably important to get out. I'm almost wondering, like, you know, when we get the the conference call from Tony Khan, he'll give us a list of excuses about why he couldn't announce, you know, these things earlier, the way he kind of like made similar excuses for death before dishonor. I I can't imagine what those things could necessarily be, though. I mean, because this show is such a long time coming and, you know, uh, certainly a card, I feel, should be a bit more um, fleshed out than maybe what it is. Do you feel it's a problem or do you think that this is one where it's maybe maybe some short term, you know, it's it's not helping that you don't have a card this many weeks out. But is it do you think it has a real impact on the success or failure of this show that a lot of this is going to be coming together in the final three to four weeks? I mean, the the answer is no, because the show is already successful. And I think simply by, you know, the the, the show being as as large scale as it is, it's going to attract a lot of people watching on pay-per-view anyway. But I, I don't think it's capitalizing on that sort of interest that's already there and i also think that there's this other bigger record that you know tony probably really wants to hit with their all-time record i believe um that i don't know if is in jeopardy now because you know the interest i I guess i guess starts is starting to feel a bit more negative rather than positive for the show Let's chat a bit about the G1 that is going into night number 11 on Tuesday morning, and we'll focus on the A and B block. So on Wednesday show, we are going to have uh, the following matches taking place. We have Hikuleo against Kaito Kiyomiya, Yoshihashi against Great Okan, Ren Narita against Chase Owens, Taichi versus El Fantasmo, Sonata against Gabe Kidd, Tangaloa against Will Ospreay, Shota Umino against Yota Suji, and the main event of Kazuchika Okada against kenta um this is a a lineup that we will uh we will see what everyone if they pull out all the stops on these matches but on the a block we know sonata is through sonata has clinched so he is uh the first place finisher on the a block side and then it's the fight for second with kaito kiyomiya with six shota umino with six and then you technically have gabe kid at five chase owens and hikuleo at four i'm not imagining those three to play a role in uh, fighting for that second place spot. And I think most see Kiyomiya ending up getting this spot. Now, the interesting part is that if on the B block side, if Okada wins the block over Osprey, then he would not be able to face Kiyomiya until the finals. But if he finishes second, they can meet in the semifinals. So that might suggest, well, I mean, you could you could go either way, depending on how big you think they make a potential Okada Kiyomiya re- rematch. But as we're winding this down, it does feel like that match. There's a reason for Kiyomiya in this tournament, and it seems improbable that we don't get a rematch between those two, either in the semis or if you go all the way to the finals with those two. Yeah, I think that remains one of the very interesting scenarios, you know, coming out of this. And even if um, you know, Kiyomiya doesn't win the G1 beating an Okada or at least having a a significant chapter with Okada, I think would already make his G1. So Okada has matches remaining with Kenta and Tangaloa. Will Ospreay has matches with Tangaloa and El Fantasmo. Do you see either of them losing another match or do they, their only losses in this tournament are, are done and over with? Mm, 
I guess there's really no point, is it? Unless you want to build a bit more drama heading into, you know, some of the later matches. I um, guess there's the point. If if you were to want to save Okada and Kiyomiya for the final, then Okada does have to win the block, and that would require him finishing ahead of Will because he would lose the tiebreaker based on last week's match. Right. So there's that potential. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, um, I feel like Okada does not need to lose another match in this round robin portion unless there's a strategic reason for doing it. Because even if both of them go two and zero in their last matches, Osprey would win the tiebreaker. So it all depends on what you're saving Okada for in the uh, in the playoff round. But that's essentially it. Where you're not calling uh, Taichi or Fantasmo or Tangaloa to make a last minute surge and take one. Maybe next spot. year, not this one. No. Okay. So the A and B blocks seem to be locked up unless we have some some ghetto special to uh stun everybody c and d blocks they're a bit more open-ended but uh we'll focus on those uh later in the week the next uh mat the next matches for those blocks are on wednesday and that is a uh, davy and eric marcotte show that everyone can check out and the math will it will all start to make sense by the end of the week SmackDown ratings from Friday night. They were back on Fox with 2,323,000 viewers and a 0.61 in the demo. So comparing it to two weeks ago, uh, comparing to the last episode on Fox, it was basically identical. They were up a percentage in viewers, down a percent in 18 to 49. So they brought back their same audience from two weeks ago. Uh, They were up 12% in 18 to 34, uh, but down in their 35 to 49 demo. So in their older demo, this was their lowest since June the 9th. Uh, Maybe, maybe they are just ready for this Roman Reigns, Jey Uso tribal combat. We we don't need to see any more staring and uh, trading of lays and super kicks. Um, Also in Canada, they were, they were down quite a bit this week, down to 140,000 viewers, which is also the lowest since June 9th. And it was interesting because on Friday night, there was no Blue Jays game on television, but it was one of the few Jays games that the only way to watch it was on Apple TV. So you had to um, go that route. Um, But nonetheless, SmackDown um, was down their lowest in over a month. Rampage, um, was down 22% in viewers to 324,000, which would be their second lowest ever in their normal Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern time slot. And the demo was down 11%, registering a 0.10. So we are, are back to very low figures for Rampage, not that we've really gotten out of them. But the interesting pattern was that in across the board in 18 to 49, 18 to 34, and 35 to 49, Men were were down by noticeable amounts, yet women were up. Like in 18 to 49, women were up 36% this week. Men were down 32. And then in 18 to 34, women were more than doubled from last week. So it tells me that uh, Battle Royals, um, I guess last week, uh, you know, they had some cursory interest. And then this week, the Tag Team Battle Royal put the men to bed because the women are staying up for the Battle Royal and Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida. And um, this is I feel this is now closer to um, the baseline we're going to be seeing Rampage descend to uh, at at this level. I think that every week that goes by, it just feels Rampage is slowly and slowly falling out of people's regular viewing habits. And I think that this should be no longer numbers that are cause for alarm or big discussions on what Rampage needs to do. I think there's just an acceptance that this is sort of your level that rampage is going to uh going to be settling at even and i i don't know how big of a 
promoted match you even throw on Rampage at, at this point? Like, why sacrifice something when it's the third show and the others need it more? Um, maybe maybe there's a question of like you know wanting to renegotiate with something stronger but at this point i think there's there are too many you know things for AEW to do um and rampage is probably the one that's out nxt on tuesday night following the great american bash we will get jc jane against lyra valkyria Jack against eddie thorpe electra lopez and lola vice against valentina Ferros and ulissa leone and the big segment will be the schism conducting an investigation who were these men under the masks that attacked the dyad last week these men who are breaking mm-hmm. the creed of the schism to act out of line who who could these who could these men be and then dynamite 200 wednesday night in tampa if i had told you after dynamite number one in october of 2019 that 200 episodes later it will be kenny omega and jeff jared in the same ring together on the big 200th episode way you would be telling me yeah i can see that so it will be kenny omega and the young bucks against jeff jarrett jay lethal and satnam singh mm-hmm. what a match if this does not uh isn't, isn't that the reaction we give to any jeff jarrett jay lethal satnam singh match the fact that we're going to get nick jackson spots with jeff jarrett i am uh i am more than ready for in this match maybe nick jackson and satnam singh trading um something i don't know but maybe Satnam Singh will be this excellent base for the Young Bucks. I think it'll be good. I'm curious to see it. Also announced the Anything Goes match, John Moxley, Trent Beretta, and Penta. Women's Championship match, Tony Storm defends against Hikaru Shida. ROH tag titles, Aussie Open defend against El Hijo Del Vikingo and Commander. That could be outstanding. I, I really like that as your opener, potentially. Is that the way you're supposed to pronounce it? Commander? I think so. Co? You say Co? Commander, so someone can can correct my pronunciation. I've I've heard dozens of pronunciations of uh. Okay. I, I don't think it's supposed to be just commander. Hmm. All right. There, there's supposed to be a little more of a, of a Spanish influence on it. Yeah. Okay. And then Jacques Perry and uh, Jerry Lynn will have a face to face showdown. MJF is going to speak, and then Chris Jericho and Konosuke Takeshita against Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia, uh, rounding out the lineup. My question to you, Way: will we have a all-in match announcement by the end of Wednesday night? I have to think so, even if it's um, Jeff Jarrett versus Grado. I think you'll get some sort of official announcement of something. So Je- Jeff Jarrett is in the UK doing promotion for all-in, and they were on Talk Sport, him and Grado. And they did this angle together where Grado like makes a crack at Jarrett. So Jarrett slaps him like they were on the Letterman show. And then he nails him with a guitar. And my question is like, what, what is this for? What, who is this angle for? It's probably for all in. Don't you? Why, why would we be doing Jeff Jarrett and Grado on on the biggest AEW show of all time? Uh, I do not think that is happening at all in. I don't know. I'm not sure. I should say I'd be stunned if that happened, but yeah, maybe it was just promotion for for all in. Like they just want. I, I, I don't ask me. I I don't even want to answer. Okay. Um. Last thing. Uh. Nate Diaz and Jake Paul is also this Saturday night, and they've just announced like this will be a zone pay per view, but it will also be available on ESPN Plus pay per view, which is very interesting given that you know Nate Diaz has left the UFC and Jake Paul has been the mortal enemy of Dana White, critical of fighter pay. And they're going to be on the ESPN uh, pay-per-view service. So I think that's that's great for this fight to have that, you know, built-in audience and have your 
how much ESPN promotes this fight during the week will be interesting as well. Like that only helps these two to have ESPN exposure this week going into Saturday night's uh, fight, which it'll be one of the more interesting pay-per-view numbers of the year to see what Nate Diaz going into boxing means, what Jake Paul's name means. And the biggest question of all, can Logan Paul make it from Detroit to Dallas on Saturday night? That's the real thing you should be buying on pay-per-view. Yes. Logan Paul's commute. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Okay, let's go to tonight's edition of Raw, the go-home Raw before SummerSlam from the sold-out Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, about 12,900 fans. Although some of these matches, it sounded like there were 12 people. There were some matches that when they started, it was just so quiet. And yet it was one of the biggest audiences of the year for Raw. I mean, they like what they like and they don't like what they don't. There was a graphic for Adrian Street at the beginning. And then Logan Paul comes out and he is not here for the fans. He's here for Ricochet. And the fans booed that. They didn't like this. And he wanted to introduce Ricochet to his own fans last week. So that's why he showed up. He wanted his fans to see who Ricochet was by watching the WWE program. And felt he was victimized and abused. And he's going to beat Ricochet in the most viral match in WWE history. I had to rewind this because I first thought he said the most violent match in WWE history. And no, it's the most viral match, Mm -hmm. which wasn't this guy's initial thing that I'm done with the viral clips. I'm done doing all this stuff that you want to do. And now he's it's going to be the most viral match in company history. Well, this is a match and not a clip. They are selling you on like a 30 second spot that you will get to see. So to, to me, it's like if this is all built around one spot. Maybe I should just follow this guy's uh, TikTok account. It's it's not necessarily one spot. Maybe it's several spots. Okay. Multiple How do they viral. calculate the uh, virality of, of this match? Uh, Social Blade. Okay. So yeah, it's probably they're probably going to count every single clip from this and hoping it gets shared. I, I, I'm assuming this might be some record that they'll be sort of touting, you know, and not on tout. No, no, this will not be. Ricochet comes out and says that Logan Paul is not a good guy. You can't fool the people of Houston. This match will be box office and calls Logan Paul a horrible human being, but he respects that he's a great athlete and a showman. Paul calls Ricochet one of the greatest to ever do it until I showed up and then replays their spot from the Royal Rumble with their double springboard spot. And Paul puts out his fist. The two actually fist bumped here. But then Logan Paul points out that his girlfriend is ring announcer Samantha Irvin and asks how it will feel when your fiance has to announce me as the winner. And this prompts Ricochet to attack Logan Paul. And then they had this insane sequence together, ending with a springboard into Logan Paul's titanium reinforced right hand. And he uh, and he live streams Ricochet in pain from the titanium in his face. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like if there was going to be any mention of, you know, Logan Paul's upcoming boxing pay-per-view, this spot might have been it. Or we didn't James. really get that. Yeah. yeah, there was none of that. So, you know, maybe... maybe oh, sorry, you're, you're just talking about Logan's KSI. fight in October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his KSI one. But, you know, it's not it's not WWE's business to, to really do it. Good segment, I felt. You know, I think Logan... We saw a lot of people maybe go through sort of like the, uh, the what... Um, chant you know sort of um gauntlet tonight and yeah. i thought logan was one of the people that fielded it a bit better than certainly brock lesnar um as usual i think he showcases a ton of personality whenever he speaks and he sounds very comfortable doing it ricochet as well i think you know like the go home show this is like has it's been a month now that we've heard him consistently cut these sort of promos and i think he's, he's sounded very capable you know this has really changed my mind on i think where ricochet is at in terms of his you know, speaking ability it's never going to be his biggest strength but they do end these segments with his biggest strength with his which is his athleticism so they always leave a great lasting impression just with you know some impressive physical feat with him i love the samantha Irvin line T- to my knowledge this might be the first time they've officially been acknowledged as, as a couple on air and um it was justified because i thought this was a line that gained a whole lot of heat for logan paul and justified ricochet firing back and attacking him yes mr and mrs samantha shea. o'shea o'shea yeah sure yeah so Jackie Redman interviews Imperium. Gunther is not concerned about Drew McIntyre, and he's disappointed in Ludwig Kaiser, expected more from him last week, and explains that Drew is not here tonight, and Kaiser can redeem himself by beating Matt Riddle, and he's going to end Drew on Saturday. So Matt Riddle and Ludwig Kaiser, um, this was one match. It took him a while to kind of get the audience going here, but they worked a, a very good match together. Riddle hit a PK coming off the apron and then a floating bro. They go to the break and come back. He hits him with the Broton, bridging German. And then Kaiser lifts him on the shoulders and like rolls through on this DVD that Kevin Patrick dubs the Kaiser roll. Kaiser roll. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if Ludwig Kaiser is, is down with that, but I mean, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Sure. Yeah. Vinci gets on the apron and a roll up gets countered into a power bomb. And then there's a knee strike for a two count. And when, when Kaiser kicked out, man, did this crowd come alive? The bro Derek gets countered very intense. Couple of minutes riddle misses with the moonsault Kamagiri, And then a modified DDT by a Kaiser roll here. Um, almost very like sister Abigail. Like it was, it was the deadfall, the deadfall. Sonata's new move. He's been, uh, you know, he's been watching his catching up on G1. Like he must have been. This guy always wins with this move. So uh, he wins in 11 minutes and four seconds. This was the, um, he needs a, a Kaiser pun of some sort, some kind of bread reference here. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, despite how, how often Matt Riddle loses, I, I think he always manages to get the crowd on his side in on his on his mat in his matches. I thought they did a really good job here and got people really reacting to some of those near falls. And you know, they've been telling this sort of like a Imperium dissension type of, or at least most every of, group is teasing falling apart. That's the key it, to them. It, or it's more so in this case, Gunther being completely disappointed in both Giovanni Vinci and also Ludwig Kaiser. And today it seems like at least Kaiser is back in his good books. And um, I wonder if it's all leading to anything or if this was just all like sort of time fill for Gunther, you know, to, to get us to SummerSlam without Drew McIntyre being on every show. Um I'm hoping it leads to something. He's barely been on any shows in this league. Yeah. He's missed like two of these Raws going into the show. It's just, hey, they're going to have a great match. Okay, that's the buildup. Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. the buildup here. And Matt Riddle is, uh, 
I mean, a, a disposable baby face in the buildup to this. Logan Paul catches up with Byron. He says it will be one of the most viral matches in WWE history. So we're already downgrading from the most to one of and calls Ricochet a full-grown fetus. Or it says he was laying like a fully grown fetus. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Then we were all instructed to go follow Cody Rhodes on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Did you? No, no, I did not. They're not promoting threads, uh, WWE. You know, you're not seeing threads tags anywhere. Is anybody promoting threads, really? No, I think everyone is sort of, uh, I, I think everyone is kind of like holding off, much like many are no longer, or they are not moving over to the new X logo. Many are still just staying right. with the bird. Yeah, because we Some don't know. Moved over. Well, we don't know if it like is... I guess this is permanent, but I, I think we all, I, at least I refuse to believe, at least I'm not bothered enough to like, you know, do anything about it. Yeah. No. I can't imagine the vernacular changing overnight. No, I don't think so. There was a video package for Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. Some great video packages on this show to build up SummerSlam. This was done to uh, Daylight by David Kushner, and they recap their matches at Backlash, Night of Champions, and a segment later to come with the two individuals that they are pegging as one of the main events for SummerSlam. Maxine Date Dupree, who was legit having her first singles match and her second match ever against Valhalla with the teams in both corners. Um, Maxine is very green. Let's get that out of the way. This was very much her first singles match and it was on national television. And, and thus, like, I don't think you could expect her to be uh, smooth here, but this was all about like the audience certainly got into this. She, there was one ugly spot where Maxine is thrown towards the rope and it just seemed like they didn't know if she was going to the floor. She just like went off these ropes and went down. I think Otis, she was supposed to hit the ropes. Like I think like, so. And yeah. anyway, they pick things up. Otis gets on the apron, rips off his shirt and calls for the caterpillar, which Maxine proceeds to hit. And then she climbs to the top for a high cross, but Eric gets involved as the ref stops the count. They brawl to the floor. Gable hits his moonsault onto everyone and Valhalla attacks and they are on the turnbuckle and Maxine crosses her arms and Maxine hits a Japanese ocean cyclone suplex as she channels Manami Toyota and wins this match in three minutes and 33 seconds. I don't care what happened before this. This finish just blew my mind. And I cannot believe that this is the finish that they gave her. Legit in her first match, Valhalla has to be the most trusting person in this industry to take mm. this move from somebody that has like just does not have any experience. But hey, they hit the move and this was shocking. And they must have practiced it a lot. I am sure that they got their reps in. But who's coming up with this idea? Hey, you know, it'd be a great finish. Maybe it was Chad Gable. Could have been. Yeah. um, So, you know, clearly a lot of people watching their Japanese tapes. Um, Yeah, I mean, finish was cool. It seemed to get the, you know, internet buzzing um, because it was so unexpected. For me, though, I don't think this really came across as well as um, her previous appearances where she's had the benefit of having those blind tag or sorry, those hot tag builds to get, you know, the shock value of her coming in and even doing an arm drag and getting a big reaction. This really stood out at three and a half minutes of her. At this point, I think like maybe the novelty of just seeing Maxine do any basic wrestling move is starting to to wear thin a little. Um, but you know, um, she's gonna have to maybe up the ante, and maybe upping the ante is pulling out something from uh, Manami Toyota. Um, I I just maybe um, 
wonder if there's much how much more you can really go with like these sort of singles matches when she's very clearly incredibly green for a standard that is so much higher than I think what she's capable of. I think the shock value of her coming in for those hot tags was was great. Can they keep doing it? Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think it's going to take some creativity. It's like she's very athletic, and I would think like if she could just go and work somewhere. I mean, just in that's like, going to take too much time. She's well, that's the problem. Like in the she's, spotlight, she's going to be in sort of like your your Dominic Mysterio role in in twenty twenty, where it's like you've got to learn on national television, and it's like it's just it's a very hard place to 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 learn and develop. Even though like she she could mature into like a more than adequate performer but like this is this is a very tough environment she, to do that i get the sense she she was mainly hired to be a manager first and foremost and this is all just kind of like you know icing on the cake and they've really overachieved with her already so i i do wonder if they have long-term plans with her like going for a women's championship or something which i i can't really see just maybe given the gulf of like you know which where she has to catch up compared to like a rhea ripley for instance um, but that doesn't mean you can't tell compelling stories with her and certainly elicit big crowd reactions with her. They congratulate John Cena on his movie Hidden Strike with Jackie Chan. That is the number one movie in the U.S. and worldwide dot 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 on Netflix. It's still, a, it's still an achievement. There are a lot yeah. of things on Netflix. I have not heard a peep about this movie. Not I, I have. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's a Netflix movie, you know, straight okay. to Netflix. And I, I guess... You know, maybe in theaters in China. I don't know. Okay. Sure. I thought this was hidden movie. <laughs> Nakamura's in the locker room. Champa appears. They still have problems. And Champa needs a win to pick up some momentum so he can go win the SummerSlam Battle Royal. But Nakamura <laughs> says, no, no, no. I'm winning the SummerSlam Battle Royal. Like, These two couldn't feel like bigger geeks, you know? Like having, like having any sort of care to win the SummerSlam Battle Royal. I mean, obviously, you want to win everything, but... It just firmly slots you as a complete irrelevant jobber. Nakamura should have said, this is going to be the biggest thing I've ever won in the month of August. <laughs> but like, they're not even announcing any, like, what does the winner get? Do they even get a trophy? To be determined. Car, how about a car? You know, it's Detroit. That would be a muscle car. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I, and Chompa could have said, I'm, I'm going to win this car. I need like to pick up free, some of Yeah, free oil change, you know, just give them something. Oh, man. Winter tires. Like, I'm on. glad that this <laughs> match is on the card on Sunday. I'm glad that uh, Trish and Becky, who we've been watching for months, are getting bumped to Raw for, for this. Yeah. Judgment Day is in the ring, and Ripley says that Raw doesn't start until we say it does. And I was like, oh, my God, does the three hours start now? Like 50 minutes into the show? <laughs> because that would be such a cruel joke. They go through all of their victims they've taken out and that Rollins and Zayn won't leave whole tonight if they show up for the tag match. Bauer says that Rollins acts insane, but his idea of insane is dancing and laughing like a clown. Mine is waking up for seven years and seeing the same scars and a career that Rollins ruined. Sending me down to NXT after I was already called up. That's insane. He can't erase scars, but he will inflict some on Rollins and will make sure Rollins wakes up, remembering when Balor beat him for the title. Dominic is just booed to hell. And then Rhea advises others to run and hide like Raquel Rodriguez and enjoy rehab. 
like Kevin Owens and Liv Morgan. So Raquel storms the ring and attacks Rhea, clotheslines her to the floor, and then gets hit with a chop block after Dom distracts, and the producers are out to tend to uh, Raquel, whose uh, knee is all busted up. This was another match that they've been building all month that um, I thought that would be, you know, on the SummerSlam show. And it's not happening. Yeah. And and I'm not necessarily complaining. You know, having eight matches on a pay-per-view, even if it's a SummerSlam, I think is more than enough. And this maybe shows that you can do builds that are beyond just a cycle, like a a month-long cycle, I mean. I mean, they've been doing this for a while. There's there's. I mean, that U.S. title match is, is going to not happen at SummerSlam. You have this. We'll get to Trish and Becky as well. That, that, that one does seem a little, like, odd. Like, everything's been building towards this. This has been months mm. that they've been building. And it's, it's one of your big stars, too, in Becky. Then we had our first of two features. I think we should just talk about both back-to-back here on Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. And this was uh, leaps and bounds, the best thing that they have done. I'm just going to choose to forget every angle and assume this is the first words they have spoken since Shayna turned on her. I'm just going to assume we have saw none of the fat shaming or anything that preceded this. So Rousey says that she first became uh, aware of Shayna Baszler back in Strike Force, and we get still shots of Shayna in Strike Force, and says that she was bartending. This was after she won the Olympics and then was done with judo and actually went to bartending before she got into MMA. And then they were on the Ultimate Fighter together. This was in 2013, and her first pick, and this was true, was Shayna Baszler. And her next pick was uh, Jessamyn Duke, by the way. And Baszler, they're going back and forth, and Baszler had a chip on her shoulder because tough was meant for up-and-comers, and and I didn't consider myself an up-and-comer. And And This was the bantamweight season when they were creating a a champion at a 135-pound – or sorry, that they were – not not a champion. That was uh, the future season. But regardless, pr- kind of filling out the division, and then Misha and Ronda would fight at the end of the season for the title. So Rousey's story is about the final minute of grappling that season on Tough. Baszler made a joke that during this whole time on the show, you've never armbarred me. And Ronda says, ask Shayna how many times I armbarred her in that final minute, and you'll know who is the protege of who, which I thought was a great so line. Awesome. And was like too great a delivery to not be a true story. Oh, this was uh, honestly the best I've, I've heard Ronda Rousey in her entire WWE run, a, a complete 180 from what we've got from her during this current build to, to Shayna Baszler. Um, this to me felt like tough TUF Ronda Rousey, you know, the same sort of like, Ah man, super heelish, but like completely natural and completely cocky and dominant personality that I think made her so attractive in the first place. They they were never able to like fabricate that in a pro wrestling sort of vision. For whatever reason, they managed to hear. She was like she had that this like great cocky smile attached to it as well. Uh, just really kind of natural, a- excellent delivery here. Yeah, and sort of the the back and forth is that Shayna is stating how Rousey has this image of being this this charitable friend that lets her friends live rent free with her but really she just has her friends here that she can beat up and it's like this toxic relationship that they have to be dependent on Ronda and that Shayna showed up as a sparring partner for every one of Ronda's big fights how many of my fights did she show up as a sparring partner for 
Mm-hmm. Although she did fly to Cleveland for her independent wrestling show against uh, Heidi Loveless. So that that did seem like a, a genuinely friend, uh, friendship. Then we go to part two, and this was later on in the show. And they continue to talk about Baszler's talking about this toxic relationship of a friendship. And the fact is Rhonda pissed off everyone and she needed Shayna. And Rhonda tells this story. She's like, let me tell you this story. I'm like, oh, please, Rhonda, please, please make this good. It was about the king and the stable boy. And the king gave the stable boy everything and showed loyalty. And for that loyalty, the stable boy killed the king. And liken this to Shayna trying to kill her. And she wanted Shayna to be her friend so badly. She gave her everything to the point that Shayna hated her for it. Baszler gave everything, she says, and I received nothing back. They explain it won't be a match. It will be a fight. And I'm going to take the one thing that is the most important to Rhonda, her reputation. She's never been the baddest. And Baszler says that outside of her husband and her mother, I was the first one to hold Rhonda's baby. I love that baby. I'm her goddaughter. I'm her godmother. And it's unfortunate that she's going to grow up and she will never be able to forgive me for what I'm going to do to her mother, Rhonda Rousey. And this will be an MMA rules match. And uh, this, this ruled, this was a fantastic, fantastic series of videos to build this up. And in six minutes, uh, I just, this erased everything else for me. And they, they stuck the landing on this angle on the go home show. It, It was honestly pretty unbelievable because, um, Again, Rhonda and Shayna's material prior to this was not good at all. This was outstanding. I was also shocked that this came really from the WWE because I'm not used to seeing this type of storytelling from the WWE. This felt very much like a countdown special. And we were talking for weeks on about like who's the heel, who's the babyface in this feud. When the promos are this good, when the storytelling is this good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the heel and the who the baby faces what you got out of these six minutes is the story the very believable grounded in reality type of story between two people who had a falling out and now absolutely hate each other and And you care about who wins and and it's up to the audience you know just like at an mma fight to decide who they want to cheer for um and i'm sure like you know in attendance i feel like the crowd is probably going to be very pro shana but it feels like a real grudge because it's it's pro- a lot of the things they were saying were probably entirely real. So, um, you know, not to say they hate each other, of course, but they took elements out of their own histories and crafted it into this beautiful narrative. It that feels like it's the culmination of like, you know, this is their story. The reason like, you know, this is probably the biggest story that these two will ever tell together as, you know, pro wrestling opponents it, and felt fully realized in this form. And so maybe it kind of tells you like, the difference between um, trying to do something live versus, you know, doing something under somebody's direction with the benefit of editing, with the benefit of multiple takes, this really should have been, you know, the type of thing that they were doing with Ronda Rousey since the beginning with Shanna Baszler since the beginning, you're not going to have stories as this deep, you know, as deep as this, but clearly this Ronda Rousey and this Shanna Baszler came across so much better than they ever have. So, Oh man, this was outstanding. Yeah, and listen, you can't do this all the time, but you do not need to have a 10-year friendship to be able to take the principle of what made this work and apply it to your storytelling, that you don't always have to have the loud and over-the-top angles and contract signings, that sometimes you just do something like this. It can be very simple. 
doesn't necessarily fill six weeks of television time, but it is Mm -hmm. something to tell you about what can sometimes connect and with people that we don't necessarily associate as these quote unquote great promos, which I always kind of push back on that because not in your traditional sense, but in the right setting, everyone has like something that connects with them on a certain level that they can convey. And it's trying to get that out of the performer. And you can look at like real sports is is a great backdrop. Like there are people that are not quote unquote wrestling promos, but can still be captivating talkers in their element where it feels real to them. And Mm -hmm. Shane and Rhonda was a perfect example here. This was uh, an excellent end to what was kind of a a forgettable buildup, but will not be. And I'm, because the match was kind of my least concern that I think the match will pull itself off. And with this, it kind of springboards this into a place that, you know, feels like this is a, a match worthy of one of your big shows of the year. Now thinking back, I feel like their intent was probably, you know, not about like who's going to be heel, who's going to be baby faces. The content of like Rana and Shayna's segments prior to this week, you know, they were they were confusing because in a pro wrestling setting, you're always looking to see who you're supposed to cheer for, who you're supposed to boo. And I think they were so caught up in pro wrestling delivery that it kind of felt like it is one one was trying to lead you one way or another. But clearly they had the story in their head the whole time. That was really just, you know, a story of two people who have a have a real grudge against one another. And I think told through this way more, you know, almost like documentary like type of format, it 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 felt full, much better realized than in a you know standard professional wrestling promo in front of an audience type of setting. Alpha Academy were backstage and Imperium walk in and Gunther makes fun of them. They turn everything into a joke. Maxine brings up that Chad Gable is an Olympic athlete. And this leads to Gunther stating that Gable couldn't even last five minutes in the ring with him. Gable says he could last five hours if he needed to. And they agree to leave both teams in the back and they are going to have uh, a Nikon five-hour edition of Raw match. Hmm? No, never mind. Gable, uh, okay, so that's coming up later. Tommaso Ciampa, Shinsuke Nakamura is next. And this was another match where it took a while for this crowd to get going. And you know what? Momentum going into the Battle Royal, not exactly in a spark. A whole ton of uh, people at the edge of their seat. Bronson Reed is watching this in the back. Chomp is favoring his ribs after the tsunami last week. And Nakamura hits a running knee to the bad ribs and then hits them again and rolls them up, grabbing the trunks in eight minutes and 54 seconds. So Nakamura steals the victory and uh, and Chompa is not going to go in with the momentum to the Battle Royal. Uh, I mean, I think the crowd could see through this one. I thought the match was pretty cold even towards the ending here. Um, And I think the feud is completely cold. You know, it really does feel like, you know, when you're talking about two participants, three participants, I'm I'm assuming if Reed is in there, it just feels a fight between losers. And we don't know what's at stake. Uh, It feels like these three are kind of caught in this like endless loop of just like having one match over another that results in no, nobody really getting more over like all three of these guys are at the end of this feud going to feel like they're in the same spot, you know? So there's just really nothing sparking enthusiasm in any of the three right now for me. The trainer checks on Raquel's knee and Adam Pierce says she is not cleared, but he gives Raquel his word that as soon as you are cleared, you will get your match with Rhea Ripley. So that tells me um, we don't know when we're doing this match yet, but it's happening. Well, they're just, you know, finding a way to delay it. It could be payback. 
or a raw, either one. Yeah. Yeah. Brock Lesnar comes out, goes over his accolades as an NCAA champion, a US, UFC heavyweight champion, a WWE champion. This is fight week. The hype is over. And man, he's getting the what chance. And I had no no sympathy for this guy who just played right into them. I mean, he was like almost encouraging them. So, I mean, you could tell he just got frustrated like because he probably expected, you know, something like this to happen. And then he really had no counter for it. He, so he was just almost so at he that just point. Paused after each word. I was like, what are you? Well, he was playing. He rather than fight against it, he was just like, okay, these people are going to do this. I'm going to put zero effort into my promo and I'm just going to go through it and just hope this thing ends. You know, if anything, it is like the Brock Lesnar character of how he would handle what chance. Like, yeah, just give up. Just like, I'm, I, why did I come here? Basically, that that was kind of how this came across. He says, Saturday gets paid to kick ass, Cody gets paid to get his ass kicked and invites Cody to come out and shake his hands because he's got to take off. He's already been here long enough at two minutes. So, Cody comes out in his gear, they have a long stare, they shake hands, but then he destroys Cody attacks him with the stairs and then hits him with an f5 in the ring and the crowd there's chance of one more time and graves calls this one of the main events at SummerSlam. so final physical angle to set us into SummerSlam, and we are not getting a stipulation attached to this one yeah yeah um you know i i thought we would get hell on a cell for SummerSlam, but clearly they feel like this is enough unless they plan on doing another one coming off of this and is there enough juice in this feud to possibly head to a fourth Double count out finish at SummerSlam. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought Cody was really good here. The physicality in the end was good. Awful promo from Brock and maybe just a reminder of why he should rarely speak. Gunther and Chad Gable. This was the five-minute challenge. So um, they, they had a fine five minutes here. And maybe maybe someone did watch the G1. They're like, oh. 20 minutes is way too long. Let's do five. It gets exciting at the end. And the crowd did get into this at the end. Gable uh, ends up uh, escaping a choke and avoids the power bomb and sends Gunther to the floor as the five minutes elapses. And Gunther is freaking out, stating the match is not over. He wants more time. So Samantha Irvin states that the match continues and Gable goes for the arm, applies the Fujiwara arm bar and Gunther rakes the eyes, hits him with a German and then Gable comes back with a big bridging German. Chaos Theory gets blocked, so he's hit with a boot and a lariat. And then into big chops from Gunther, who finally hits him with this wicked-looking power bomb and pins Gable. All told, it was 12 minutes and 54 seconds, but a pretty entertaining match that these two had. And was not unhappy that they got uh, an extended period. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, really excellent 12-minute match between these two. Um, with a really nice little effective framework set around it with the five minute challenge here, um, giving Gable this sort of like huge, maybe technical or at least moral victory in the fans eyes, I think is really huge for him. I would argue it, it's almost a little too strong for somebody positioned as low on the card as a Chad Gable because of how protected Gunther is. But, you know, um, in the end, I guess it saves his record because somehow he got this um, stricken from from the books. And um, but I think it justifies a rematch for sure. They should Gable. go to this after SummerSlam. Yeah, totally. You know, I think this was done for a reason. And I I would say, yeah, if you were just going to do these five minutes, I don't think that makes sense for Gunther going into Saturday. But the way they did this was uh, perfectly fine. And to me, it it suggests like Gable having at least some some steam post SummerSlam that I feel like he is above the Alpha Academy comedy stuff. He's great mm -hmm. in the role, but I just I see him as much higher. But I don't know if necessarily long term they will the audience will accept him at a higher level. 
So Gunther just cuts a promo warning Drew that he will end him once and for all at SummerSlam. So this could be a, a very um, tough SummerSlam for Drew. Byron interviews Cody Rhodes, asks if he can compete on Saturday, and Cody says he will shatter the aura of Brock Lesnar and the Beast, both of them, on Saturday. Becky comes out, and she wants her rematch tonight with Trish and calls out Patricia to throw down in Houston. Get out here, Patricia. We're (laughs) shooting. And Trish and Zoe come out, and they don't want to do the match here. Or Trish was ready to do the match here, but she doesn't want to be told what to do by by Becky and calls it a fluke that she beat Zoe last week. So she is not a cheater. She won't go back on her word like the Astros. And this got a lot of anger from this crowd. They're like, they were very protective of the Astros. Well, this was referencing this cheating scandal. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, Trish was not wrong here. No. And uh, Adam Pierce interrupts and says the match is going to happen tonight. And Trish is furious. <laughs> so the bell rings and Zoe immediately attacks Becky. And this lasts five seconds. And Becky, Becky ends up like taking care of these two. And Zoe stops a manhandle slam in the timekeepers area. Trish's face mask comes off. And then Trish uses a chair on Becky and they make their way to the back. Pierce catches up with Trish and Stark and calls it unacceptable. Trish is like, what? We delivered the rematch and you gave me no time to prepare. So Pierce states that I will give you plenty of time to prepare because the match is going to be in two weeks in Winnipeg with Zoe Stark banned from ringside. So this will not happen at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pierce had home field advantage for Trish. And I guess Th- this is as much Winnipeg. home field advantage <laughs> as it would be for a native of Buffalo competing in like Montana. Okay. That, yeah. That's. Yeah. That's the gap, okay, of this home country advantage. Canada is, you know, a pretty big state. And so um, even if you're competing half the country away, you're still considered uh, at at home. So um, I I felt this was like a good example of a bait and switch. It's not like they promoted this match beforehand. I thought for sure that they would announce it for SummerSlam. The fact that they're not, I mean, maybe they consider SummerSlam already too crowded um, and maybe want to give this, you know, uh, to a to a raw instead to to boost that edition of raw. That or if some issue came up and they have to delay it, I mean something. But it could have just been timing out the show and feeling this would be better suited for for TV. But I mean, this was like this has been built for months, and this feels like the blow off match that felt like it should have had a place on the show, but there could have been uh, extenuating reasons or or just having a big match, I guess, for 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 Winnipeg. Then it was Seth Rollins and Sami Zayn against Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio in the main event. They brawled on the floor before the bell rung. Graves brought up Dominic's win at the Great American Bash against Wesley and Mustafa Ali. And Kevin Patrick notes that there's a chance all four members of the Judgment Day could be champions after SummerSlam. Which would mean Damian would have to, what, cash in on Roman Reigns? Yeah, uh, I, I guess so. You're right. Yeah. If all four of them were champions. Right. Unless they consider Money in the Bank to be a championship. Which is not. It's not. So um, Balor returns uh, after he was chased to the back by Rollins. He yanks Rollins off the apron. We went through a pair of commercial breaks and Rollins got the crowd going with multiple dives to the corner. There's a springboard. Priest catches Rollins who lands on his feet, avoiding south of heaven, super kicks him. And then Dom snaps Rollins on the top and Zane takes out Dominic. Balor then nails Zane on the floor and Rollins is stopped on top and hit with the razor's edge. And with him laid out, Priest goes for the pin, but then he realizes, wait a minute, I could cash in right now. He's out. 
So he eyes the briefcase and he wants Balor to pass him the case. And Balor gets the briefcase and he briefly hesitates on the edge of the apron before handing it over to Damien, who goes to cash it in. But he's too late because Rollins super kicks the case into the face of Priest and then nails Dom with the case. Balor manages to eye gouge him, but is taken out with a halluva kick and Rollins recovers, hitting Priest with the curb stomp and pins him in 12 minutes and 23 seconds. I really like the the Priest-Balor stuff going into SummerSlam that they've teased here and the idea of the cash-in that Balor hesitated on. And we can go over the uh, the, the SummerSlam card in a, in a second here with the updated lineup. But overall, I really like this Rollins-Balor uh, lead-up and the Judgment Day sort of being the the cloud over top of this match for Saturday in a good way. Agreed, agreed. I thought the match did a really great job of putting the focus on Seth Rollins in particular. Um, it felt like he was the focal point of the match, and, you know, it makes sense. He's the only guy on the show or who who actually – only guy in the match who has a, a match on uh, SummerSlam, right? So um, it had a really fantastic end as well and one that kept the whole Finn Balor-Damian Priest program alive as well. So, yeah. Um, are you surprised no Owens and, uh, sorry, uh, no, cause he's injured, but, uh, no Zane title defense, no priest and, uh, Dominic, even though they were kind of like teasing that a little bit. Well, with Owens hurt, I mean, it's like, there's no role for the tag titles on this show. I, I don't think it's missing it. You don't have any challengers built up like Dominic and priest feel, or they just feel as though like they did it on TV. It would just be, and, and you don't have Owens. So that kind yeah. of takes care of and that. You're leaving something attractive for television potentially. So SummerSlam, we have eight matches confirmed reigns against Jay in the tribal combat. Rollins and Balor for the world title, Cody and Brock, Gunther against Drew McIntyre for the IC title, Rousey against Shayna, MMA rules, Asuka, Belair, and Charlotte for the women's title, Ricochet against Logan Paul, and the SummerSlam Battle Royal. So two two SmackDown programs on this show. Although it is, the biggest program is a SmackDown one. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's the card. Um, I don't think you need anything else. I think anyone else you would just throw into the battle Royal and maybe they do some like non, I could see them throwing in some like non wrestling segment, like a Grayson Waller effect or something. If they, if they want to do some big segment with him or something like that, but there you go. That's the card. I think it's been a very good build overall on, on both sides, but I thought that raw overall, they've had a lot of stories building up to SummerSlam. I thought it was a pretty good go home show that they have tonight, largely around the Rollins Balor stuff. And uh, but the, the Ronda, Ronda Shayna stuff was, I mean, that was the the biggest uh, jump in terms of effectiveness going from, I would say, the bottom to, you know, a solid mid-tier match on the on the show that, you know, is going to be different than anything else on the card. Agreed. Yeah. What exactly are MMA rules? What does that entail? Five-minute rounds? Judges? Yeah. I, w- I wonder if they do rounds and such. And if that will, I hope get, o- that will get over, I I feel you could learn from the uh, the whole raw underground thing and do something closer to that that I think people would be take to a bit better. I think it should just be as simple as like you know knockout or submission, um, or rough stoppage. It should just be that. All right, we will open it up if you have any super chats, and we will also go to forum.postwrestling.com before we bid everyone farewell on this Monday some night. S- yeah, some super chats here. The first one comes to us from Lee Hildebrand. He says, what happened to AEW reaction or WWE's Twitch stream? 
I don't even know what AEW reaction is. And the WWE Twitch stream, I checked it the first week and never have gone back. So I was under the impression they were still doing it. But if they're not, it would not surprise me. They never once promoted it on television. So it did not seem like it was any priority for them, although it did get a press release. Uh, I can check right now to see if um, they had a recent stream up. So, is AEW reaction a similar thing? Like they would go live sorry. after the show? I so, no they, so they did stream just today. They, okay. Five hours ago with the, the same few people, same three people, the raw sidecast. It's been okay. Going so they've been doing day. it for like two months. It's just, they have never once promoted it on air. So I guess they just, mm-hmm. it's, and that might be, I don't know. I, I'd only be guessing of like why they, they can't promote Twitch on, on t- television. Yeah. I don't know what AEW reaction is. What is that? I don't know. I, I've I've never watched. Are you thinking it. of Impact reaction? Yeah, that was over a decade ago. I'm I'm sure there was something AEW reaction, but I'm I'm sorry, I'm not. Okay. Uh, I have yep. no clue what it is. I assume it's a show that aired after, and if it's gone, it means it disappeared. That's Andy sends yeah. his, Andy sends the super chat. He says, "Was today's angle giving Cody an injury excuse? Are you guys giving credence to the rumors that Wyatt may cost him? How did you guys feel about the documentary?" I've not had a chance to watch it yet. Have you? No, neither have I. Um, Yeah, I mean, you have them going in sort of with uh, the arm injury, but they're not going so far as to say it's broken. But, I mean, it should be the target for the the Kimura. Um, I'm opening to to any ideas. It's like I don't know one way or another if they are, are bringing Bray back. And if they are, you better have a great idea of how to do it because that could come off really anticlimactic. Even if people pop for his return, I think it would be, um, and it would be a tough program for Cody to, to go into. I think he would be better equipped than most, but that, that would be, um, you know, certainly a detour and he's going to need detours. Yeah. And I also don't know if Cody should be losing. Um, I guess he could, honestly, anybody can lose and, and then maybe you could do Brock versus Rollins uh, coming mm-hmm. off of it. But I also feel like maybe Cody should be, you know, winning this feud coming out of it, especially if he's potentially going to be headlining some uh, WrestleMania later on in the year. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't personally heard really any rumors about who might be coming in or who might not. And as long as the story is good, I think, you know, you can potentially welcome anybody. All right. Muggin writes in, I went in thinking that maybe there will be two more women's matches added to SummerSlam, but we're winding up getting two instead of four. I'm sure they'll be good. But man, Trish and Becky not making the card is a little mystifying. The go home rod did the job. Ronda Shayna video packages were stellar. Gable showed off that he's more than just a mid card comedy act. He and Gunther had a damn good match. Priest got greedy and Balor had a little lapse of judgment in the main event. It was fun, despite how repetitive it's getting. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Muggin. Yeah. I mean, they took that match off. Um, I I don't exactly know why, but w- is there another match on the show I would take off and replace with Becky and Trish? Probably the, the Battle, Battle Royal. Royal, but they probably have their own reasons for putting the Battle Royal on. Well, you have a sponsor for that show, and that's right. probably the main reason that show that match is happening is that it is a it is a it represents revenue for the company to have that match and plaster Slim Jim over the over the match and when you look up and down this card i mean you know i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it for gunther mcintyre i i probably wouldn't trade it for logan paul versus ricochet rousey and baszler is a pretty you know big match at this point um rollins and balor i wouldn't change it um cody Rhodes and lesnar wouldn't go 
um you know the Oscar, women's three-way i mean Tr- trish and becky's a hotter program than that three-way women's program but but it's for the championship you know and i thought i think they won at least one women's championship on the show and and, and considering that it is a hot program well why don't you save it for another edition of, of tv like they're probably getting away from the idea that being on a pay-per-view is that prestigious you know like they want to make sure that their television programs have big matches to you know headline a raw as well well, they can definitely get more time on television than they would probably get on on this card. If they were match number nine and they're probably getting 10 minutes as opposed to Raw where they can put them in any spot on the show, they can finish off and they can do their big blow off 20 minute uh, match and and do it in Winnipeg as well. So, I mean, there's and, and who knows, there might be an extenuating reason that they had to push it uh, back, but there's, you know. Uh, several reasons it, it could be happening, but yeah, it was it's it's a big program that's being built, so that would be the one um, kind of outlier on the show that I think everyone was expecting for SummerSlam. And the chat room thinks that he meant uh, all access, AEW all access. Oh, okay. Well, it was it was just a one season, like it was it wrapped up, and we haven't heard about a second season yet. So that's yeah. that's what happened with All Access. I mean, it was it was only supposed to air for those whatever it was, six episodes, and we await to see if they get picked up again. And if you hear nothing, then it means they were not uh, feeling like it's not like their numbers were through the roof. It was uh, barely above power slap level, barely above power slap levels. So if if you weren't necessarily happy with, with power slap, did All Access? You know, you would certainly assume that All Access would be that much more given what the lead in is. Uh, for that show and it's not it's not a cheap show to produce either um as opposed to as we've talked about with brandon the idea of if you throw a third hour onto dynamite it's not a whole lot it's not really much more expensive to produce when you're already in the building and Mm -hmm. you i would guarantee that third hour would greatly outdo whatever all access was doing and certainly what power slap was doing and might not be the most um intriguing option for the viewer at home but for a lot of reasons, I it would not. I'm not at a point where I would be shocked if you're looking at this Friday show and how could that hour better be repurposed on the TBS schedule. All right. Well, we are going to be back multiple times this week, including Tuesday, to chat about the G1 show and a very busy day on Wednesday. Brandon Thurston and I will be live at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time going through the Q2 earnings report from WWE and the subsequent call with analysts. Always a fun call. Wouldn't you know it that at the beginning of this week, I found out that my power will be down for one hour this week, and I didn't give it any thought because... What are the odds that one hour could have any impact on me? And if you're guessing that this power outage will be at 830 in the morning on Wednesday when uh, the earnings are dropping, just my luck. But we will be live at 230. My power will be restored by then. Uh, We will go through all of that and then back Wednesday night with the doubleheader, Rewind to Dynamite, and the double shot as Way and I will chat about Bash at the Beach 2000. I feel this will be less of a downer. from some of the very heavy subjects they have covered this season on Dark Side. Instead, we'll be talking about WCW 2000 Insanity. So that can be found at postwrestlingcafe.com and video.postwrestling.com. A lot of people have enjoyed our Dark Side of the Ring reviews. About 30 minutes we go each Wednesday night after Dynamite uh, discussing the latest episode, which the season is winding down. There are two episodes left with Bash at the Beach and Marty Jannetty. So check out all of that, the full schedule up at postwrestling.com. And then we are off to Detroit this weekend for SummerSlam coverage coming at you all weekend long. And that is it. Thanks for tuning in to Rewind Raw.